So I must confess that uh, Pastor Scott, we like to talk about like, oh, what are you preaching on next? And, you know, we got a new series coming up. And I will say <clears throat> Christmas has already been talked about just a little bit. But uh, he told me that, oh, this series come to the table. I'll finish it. And then you can preach about whatever you want to. And that's a dangerous thing to uh, give me that option. But I wanted to do my own talk for the Come to the Table series. So, sorry, Scott said last week was the last week. This is the official last week. So I thought, why don't we go one more week? So let's pray for this message today. Heavenly Father, Lord, just ask that you use me today as I share your word, um, that as you reveal yourself, as you reveal um, yourself in a different way from Scripture, um, that we would look to you, and uh, God, just use me in this time and uh, open our hearts and minds to receive your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question came up for me, can you pray for these kids? This was when I was 20 years old, so a few years ago, and I was at a youth conference in Springfield, Illinois, and I was surrounded by hundreds of kids and other youth leaders. My church had taken a group to this conference, and I think it was called Momentum, which all youth conferences have those really cool names like Upstart and Momentum and Fire and just all these really cool names. Um, but I was invited along as a young adult leader because at 20 you're still not quite, you're not a teenager, but you're not quite an adult yet. You're still a young adult. Um, but I got to go along and uh, the worship band was awesome. They were really good. The speakers, they were super challenging. And I could look around my small group of kids and they were growing. They were learning about God. They were deepening in their faith. And then, as most youth conferences and camps go, the final night came, and the final speaker comes out, and what does he do? He gives an altar call and encourages kids to come on down to the stage, we're going to pray for you. But he did a little twist, and he said, youth leaders, I want you guys to come down at the edge of the stage, and I want you to pray for these kids. And I will tell you, 20-year-old Nate was like, nah. I, I cannot, like, this is way out of my comfort zone. I'm not comfortable going up in front of a bunch of people and also praying for kids that I don't know. And this wasn't what I signed up for because I, I came along, like, again, 20 years old. I came along to just hang out with my middle school buddies and uh, to eat lots of Taco Bell because that's what middle schoolers love um, and just have a good time. Like, that's, that's what I was there for. But to go up and pray for those kids that were needing prayer, that wasn't in my plan. But it was God, in God's plan. Like I said, it was out of my comfort level. Just the idea of having to pray for somebody else, for someone I didn't even know. Like that in general, all the introverts in the room are like, yep, that's not me. I can't do it. The extroverts are like, come on, man, do it. You can pray for that kid. So in that moment, I had to get over my fear. I had to step out of my comfort zone and go do what God had called me to do in that moment. And that was to pray for those kids. So I only ended up praying for a few. We had, you know, they had hundreds of kids and only a handful came forward for prayer. Um, and I got to pray for a few kids that I didn't even know. And, uh, you know, and this, the kids, it's been a youth conference, so they're kind of smelly. They think Axe body spray is an appropriate shower replacement. It's not. Or they smelled like Taco Bell. That would have been my kids. Um, but the sweetest moment for me was it was cool to get to pray for these kids that I didn't know. But it was actually getting to pray for one of my own students. He came forward. He's this little guy. He came forward and he said, Nate, I want to receive Jesus. I want, to, I want you to pray with me. 
And, um, and I led him through his prayer. He accepted Christ, and I can say today, like, he's still living his faith. That wasn't my work. That was God's work. But God used me for that work. And I can look back, and we high-fived, and we headed back to our seat, and went, got some cheesy gordita crunches. Like, we, we had a great time on the drive home. But looking back on that night, I can say that that was a moment that God showed me that not only was I called to pray for others, but that I did have a future in youth ministry. Now, for most of you hearing that story right now, I wonder how many of you have had maybe a similar experience, whether it's praying for somebody or, or sharing your faith. Then maybe it was during the summer, it was at a VBS, and you had a kid that was like, I don't know who Jesus is, I'd like to know. Or maybe you were sitting at the table on a Wednesday night, and someone was kind of just looking for a place to be. They're seeking out who Jesus is. There's a reason why people do come to church. It's like the moth to the light. They are coming to seek. They're looking for answers. And the thing is, is sometimes in that moment, you're it. You're that person to be the connector, like that rope going around with the kiddos. I wasn't sure how that was going to go. You're the person that God has positioned to share with them, which again, introverts say nope, and extroverts say yeah, bring it on. And I got to say right away, I, I in no way intend to shame introverts. You are wonderful people. And I myself, this is self-diagnosed, by the way, I am an introvert in an extrovert's shell. I can be outgoing when the situation calls for it, like preaching up front or leading worship. But I got to be honest, talking, um, there are the times that for me, I just need to have my quiet time. As my wife would say, Nate needs his spa time in his office. He needs chill music and coffee and just time to be calm. I need those moments. And that's what fills me up. But no matter how you're wired, introvert or extrovert, it doesn't matter. Sharing your faith, we can say it, it can be awkward. And gone are the days of most people knowing about God. Like 20 years ago, it was a little bit easier. And 20 years before that, it was a little bit easier to share about who God was and who God is, about the Bible, about Jesus. And I want to share a, a little thought with you guys. And this was um, something maybe you're not familiar with. I shared this with my dad yesterday, and he's 67, 66 now, and he didn't know about this. But when the church was called the third place, um, it was the third place in our society, and today it has been replaced. Now, if you're like, third place? Is that like going around the baseball diamond? No, no, no third place, if you're not familiar with it, the idea of places, there are, there are the three places. The first place is our home. It's where we live. It's where our family is at. Work is our second place. And then the church, for centuries, was the third place. It was the place for people to gather, to, to pray, to, to learn about God. But that changed. Over time, it has changed. Other locations have replaced it. Libraries, shopping centers, bars, coffee shops, athletic centers, social media, they have all taken a little piece of that pie of the third place. Actually, if you do any research on Starbucks, that was the owner's goal was to make Starbucks the third place. And it's those places have all split it up. The church is no longer the third place. And today... I'm going to make a bold case that this isn't a bad thing. So hang with me on that. So our scripture today comes from the book of Mark. And I got to be honest, I, the Gospels, we always turn to Luke because it's very 
thought-filled, and, and there's all the study that was put into it, where we go to the book of John because it's beautiful, and then there's Matthew, but Mark is like, let's get down to business. This is what Jesus did, I, I, and I'm, I'm learning that now. It's just so straightforward, and I love it because we read chapter one, and right away, it starts off at Jesus's baptism. It's like, it's like uh, watching the Marvel movies, and you got to have the origin film. It's like, nope, we're skipping Uncle Ben Dines. He's Spider-Man now. Like, it's, we're just going for it with the story. And that's what Mark is. He's, this is Jesus doing what Jesus does. So he gets baptized, and then it lists several of his mi- moments in ministry, and then we arrive at chapter two. And this is our story today. And as I shared with the kids, it's about a group of friends who are willing to do anything to bring their sick friend to the feet of Jesus. So our, our reading today is in Mark 2, 1 through 5, and it'll be on the screen, or you're welcome to open up your Bibles. Um, so I'll read. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, in those five verses, there is a lot to unpack. It's only chapter two of Mark, and Jesus is already, he's gaining quite the following at this point. He's got quite the reputation. And it's not just being a good teacher, but it's also being a healer as well. We can read about him driving out demons. He healed a man of leprosy. He healed Simon's mother-in-law, which is like the best way to win over your mother-in-law. Like Jesus came and healed her. Like Simon's like in with his mother-in-law. But then we come to the story of the paralytic and his friends. And in reading this story, we can see a few main characters kind of bubble up to the service. Obviously, we see Jesus, we see the paralytic man, and then we see the group of friends. So Jesus is there to fulfill his calling. He is there to heal the sick, reach the lost, and stir the faith of those that he met. And he's there in his home, which I did find it interesting reading that verse. It's like Jesus comes home like If you're watching The Chosen, my vision of Jesus is now Jesus in a tent. Like, it's hard to think of him as being in a home. The show's going to warp my brain on Jesus a little bit. That's okay. But anyway, he's in his home, and he's meeting person after person. They are coming to him, and he's preaching, and it's standing room only. So enter the other characters of the story. We have the paralytic and his friends. And even in Luke's gospel, not much more is really explained about this man or his friends. They're just a couple of guys. Other than the fact that they were driven to bring their friend to the feet of Jesus. Now, we don't know why this man was paralyzed. And we can read through scripture and see usually there's an illness that's stated, but there's not a lot else brought forth. And we know whether it was from birth or happened later in life, In biblical times, when someone had something like being a paralytic, they would be, would usually be an outcast. They would be looked down upon by society, and they would be left to fend for themselves, begging for food or money, you know, along the side of the road. And the assumption would be, is that he's paralyzed because of a sin in his life, or that his parents sin, and that sin 
had not been atoned for, so they would shun him. But what about when someone doesn't, so in Obviously, today, we wouldn't look at a paralytic and say, like, we shun you. Like, we would actually be like, how can we help? That's, things have different, changed, obviously, in our society. But what about when someone doesn't have the same values as you? Maybe it's, let's, let's turn it a little bit away from it being a physical deformity, but maybe it's they have different values than you. Or maybe they live a little bit wilder life than you. Their sin in their life, it may not cause a physical deformity, like being a paralytic but it does cause a deformity in our view of that person. We need to move past our own hang-ups, we need to move past them, and we need to move past our judgments of others and see what Jesus sees. He sees a child, a person that he loves. When we read the Gospels, we can always give the Sunday school answer to the question, who is the hero of the story? It's Jesus. I asked the youth group that question, who's the hero of the story? Jesus! You know, they know that that's the answer. But what's interesting in this story is how important the friends were to the healing of the paralytic. They had heard the stories of Jesus. He's brand new on the scene, and they had heard every single story. And they knew that they needed to get their friend there to him post-haste. They needed to get there as quick as they could. Again, the house was full, a, city a crowd blocked the entry, but the faith of the friends... They found a way of getting to Jesus and placing the paralytic at the feet of their friend before him. Now, they got up on the roof, and they started to break through. They had to break through the tiles and everything. And when, when they were doing this, like, which we can think of the movies and the drawings that we've seen in this, and it's, it's beautiful. Like, it's usually done very cute. But it, in the actual, like, happening of this, they would have been tearing tiles off the roof. Anyone that's done roofing knows it's not a, it's not a pretty job, so imagine de-roofing a building. But there would be lots of dust and debris falling down, causing bits of the roof to just fall, and it would be very dangerous below. But where the case is very urgent for someone to be healed, we must be prepared to uh, tear through some roofs. And Jesus was there to heal the sick, so roof or no roof, the faith of the friends ventured all so that the poor paralytic might be, have his sins forgiven, be, be saved. And it's because of his friends that not only is this, this paralytic, is he physically healed? Jesus says, your sins are, sin, you are free of your sins. And his slate is wiped clean. When we hear stories of this radical life change, God coming in and turning lives around, it can remind us of our own story and hopefully invigorate us and encourage us to go out and share with the world. And I, I got to talk about The Chosen again because the show has just been hitting it home for me. I, I've, spoiler, spoiler alert, Jesus shows up and he helps Mary. He casts out the demons from Mary. And it's this, the second episode. So again, we're like at episode four now, so it's no longer spoiler alert. But it's the scene when Nicodemus goes to find Mary, and he's like, what happened? How are you healed? And she looks at him, and she says, my life was a mess before, and, it, and it's not, I'm totally butchering the beautiful language, but my life was a mess before and after I was saved, and what happened in between was him. I've shared that story like four times in the last few weeks with, with the youth, and they're probably sick of hearing it. I love that, that moment, because we've all had that moment. If we choose to believe, we get to have that moment of the yuck before and the good after, and what happens in between is him. But something might happen after that for us. And I will say, when we want to go out and share it with the world, something might 
come up that stops us from sharing with others. And there's something, it's this one thing that comes in that stops us from going out and sharing the good news to all the earth. It's me. It's you. (laughs) The things that hold us back are fear. Whether it's fear of rejection that we share, my life has changed. The response, so what? My life has changed and God's this super cool dude. Probably not the best way to uh, tell, you know, maybe that works for, for younger people to hear, like, oh, Jesus is a super cool dude. We might be worried that we're going to screw it up when we share the gospel. And I'll admit that has always been one thing for me that I've had to work through is that what I say, well, I might just say Jesus is a super cool dude. Or we have the fear of offending. And that's the pin drop moment right there that we live in the today of you don't want to step on toes. Maybe it's self-doubt. How can I share my faith? I'm not as learned as Pastor Scott or Mike Ankrum. I always have to bring Mike Ankrum into it at youth group because he's way smarter than I am. But how can I share my faith? Am I really cut out for evangelism? Which I think all of us have probably asked that question at some point. Like, am I really cut out to go and share with people about Jesus? Or I don't feel equipped to pray for someone. We're getting a little deeper now. And I, or there's just the one. I don't have all the answers, which is actually an okay thing to say. It's okay not to have all the answers. None of us do. And honestly, there are hundreds of excuses as to what stops us from sharing. And all of that fear and all that self-doubt, it's Satan. Satan is trying to get a foothold And folks, we've got to stop giving him the pleasure. In C.S. Lewis' book, The Screwtape Letters, if you're not familiar with it, it's a really awesome, like a very powerful book, um, but it's about this demon, Screwtape, and he's writing letters to his nephew, Wormwood. And he's writing how to manage his client. Wormwood is assigned to this man, and he's trying to win him to the Prince of Darkness's side, to Satan. And he's trying to keep him away from the enemy, which is God. So anyway, this is, what, this is the scene that's going on, and there he's writing to him. And he's writing to him about an area of fear being a powerful tool. And the quote's up on the screen, but I'll read it to you guys. There is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. He wants to be concerned with what to do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. God is calling us action. He's calling us out. And Satan is just getting in there, and he's calling us to get stuck in our own minds. And for the sake of the world, for the sake of our friends and family, we must get out of our own heads and know that this, this, my finger is not pointed at you, it's firmly pointed back at myself. We must get out of our own heads and tear the roof off and point people to Jesus. We need to be bold in our faith And I actually threw the rope backstage. So we need to throw people a line. Throw them the life preserver. Throw them a line and say, this is the God that I serve and that I love, and he loves me. That is what we are called to do, folks. Throw them a lifeline. Since the beginning of September, I have just loved getting to check in with Scott and talk with others and see how our church, we are firing on all cylinders again. I mean, coffee break started last week. All cylinders are firing right now. Everything is happening. 
Wednesday nights, the church is hopping with the table and, and uh, Sunshine Choir and Treasure Seekers, the bridge. We got kids showing up that are tinier. I, there's sixth graders, and I don't know how they are sixth graders. They're so tiny. Like, it's crazy what God is doing. Coffee break is happening on Tuesday mornings. Women are getting poured into. Senior moments is happening. A new ministry that I love hearing that they're singing hymns and they're being witnessed to and they're reaching out to their friends. Our small groups are happening. All cylinders are firing, but it's not enough. And I know it's a little controversial to quote Bill Hybels, so please hang in there with me, but he did say a very famous quote that I, I believe does stand to today, and that is, the local church is the hope of the world. That's a really great quote. And we hear that, and we get this strong, warm, tingly feeling in our hearts that, yes, we are the hope. But folks, we can only do what we do by having faith in Jesus, by being healthy, and by carrying the gospel on our hearts and our lips. Now, earlier when I said that the church is no longer the third place and you were ready to say, all right, Nate, we're checking out here, that's not a bad thing. And it's because we carry the church in us wherever we go. The building is important, yes. And I'll say it, pre-COVID, we thought Sunday morning we'll fill the place, we'll have all of our ministries going, and that's good. And we're going to grow together here, and we do, we see the growth happening. But if we only live that life an hour a week and not the other 167, how are people outside these walls going to hear about Jesus? We can no longer just live a Christian life just live and say, well, I'm a Christian, and expect people will pick it up by osmosis, that they'll pick it up and say, oh, I'm a Christian too, because I, that person, they, they live that life. We need to live it, not just by example, but in word and how we carry ourselves, how we speak. It means that praying out loud for people in public, we got to do it. And I'm, I got to experience it this past week, and it was super uncomfortable and awkward, but I'm grateful for the person that, like, bear hug me and started praying in steam anchor this past week. It means sharing your faith with strangers. That also happened to me. Like, literally, steam anchor was a hotbed for me this week, um, which to our youth that are paying attention, I went to steam anchor like three times this week. I have a problem. Um, share with people. We read in Mark 16, 15, Jesus speaking. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. As believers, we are charged with carrying the gospel with us daily and point people to our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' final words in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Church, God's call is plain. Jesus' words are simple. Go and share. As we close this series on Come to the Table, we have our opportunities to come, but folks need to have their opportunity presented to them from us. So Crossview Church, let's go. Let's pray together. <sighs> Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time that we're able to, to spend in your word. God, we thank you for the example that your son set for us to go 
and share and love others. We're not called to go and judge. We're not called to go and belittle anyone. We are called to go and show people the love of Christ. God, I pray that for all of us, that as we go out this week, that we share our love of you with others so that others can see that love. God, we thank you for this time. And um, I know as the team comes up to sing this final song, Living Hope, I pray that these would be the words on our lips that we would remember that your son is the one that has set us free by his sacrifice. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.